The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag women in agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a women in agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Jessica Katz. Jessica is a trainer, mentor, and coach through Liberated Elephant. She is passionate about working with individuals, teams, leaders, and organizations to help people discover and nurture their authentic selves. With this knowledge, Jessica helps them uncover solutions that move them towards uh, their journey and their ultimate destination, and her methodology is informed by Agile values, principles, and practices. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Leslie. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, I know you're working on a new book, and that sort of has provided inspiration for the topic we're going to dig into today and in talking about middle management and that idea of how the frozen middle kind of shows up in our organizations, especially when it comes to accountability and causing harm to those around us, Um, which is such an interesting sort of conflated topic with everything going on in society right now now as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's really, it's a really live topic for me that um, this idea of, of using our power for good and not evil. Yeah. <laughs> and then if by accident we create evil, staying clear to get it good again, I think. Yeah. Is Keeping relationships clean is so important, not only at work and at home, but just kind of at, at a societal systemic level mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I like to think of relationships as a verb, not a noun, mm-hmm. right? And you get into the business of relationshiping as yes. opposed to yeah. um, having a relationship. Yeah, being in relationship with someone. Like yeah. that is an active sort of state. So, But before we get there, <laughs> I want to know, and, and I just, I wish listeners could see the smile on your face. Like I just feel so much joy um, get, having the, the benefit of us doing video chat through this um, conversation. Let's ground everybody in a little bit of your Agile origin story. Sure. So like what even led you to being here and having a conversation with me on the Women in Agile podcast series. How'd you get started? Um, so, all right, how did I get started? I never know where to start this story. Um, the, um, I guess my background, my professional background is in project management. And um, I come from waterfall project management background. And I had some hotshot developer who, if he ever listens to any of my podcasts, will probably be able to identify himself. Um, and he, uh, um, this hotshot developer comes up and says, I think we should be doing Scrum. And we were in a deep, state waterfall land. And I looked at him and I went, you're crazy. This will never work. And, um, I, I have in me, it's a trigger for me that anytime I'm that resistant to something, I pause, even though I'm resistant out loud at first, I do take the pause to go research it and figure out why am I so affected by this? Um, and I went and researched it 
And really the only reason I was that resistant to it was because it's scary, it's unknown, and I didn't know if it would work, and it's not the way we do business here, and all of those reasons you hear anyway. And um, I took the journey, and I went and read about Scrum, and I came back, and I said, okay, I think this will work. Let's so try I, it. I, I love the, the story, Jessica, and I'm going to slow us down for just a sure. second, which might mean we have a longer episode than we expect. Um But there's something about the self-awareness you just pointed to of, I know that when I feel this discomfort around something, I need to pause. I need to go get curious what's really happening here for me. Because in the the phrase I put to it is that discomfort is often a signal of something that's wanting to happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a really good language to put around it. It's... um... I mean, for me, it's a signal something not wanting to happen, but, <laughs> um, uh, but um, I, I really like change. Adventure has become like a, a word that I use to describe myself now, adventurousness, you know, and that's just a different kind of adventure. Um, and, and the exploration of self is important to being um, you know, excelling in the role of leadership and coach. Yeah. Um, it's something, certainly when this first happened, I wasn't as developed at it as I am now. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's where I want to point is um, maybe when we get to the end of the episode, circling back to this, because I think there's some pointers there, because not everyone has that ability to feel that kind of visceral reaction of, oh, something about this doesn't feel right. I'm feeling very resistant. Let me go get curious. And how you got your pl- yourself to a place where sure. that's something that you're able to do I think is so important, especially for us as women, because mm-hmm. um, it's still so common for us to be marginalized in the organizations we work in and um, n- not only systemically marginalized, but marginalizing of ourselves when we feel those kind of feelings versus leaning in and getting curious about them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to circle back to that um, and go deeper. But it, it was definitely it's not like I suddenly had the skill set. That was a skill set that developed over time. Yeah. And was was precipitated in the workplace by things happening in my personal life. It's mm-hmm. not like it started in the workplace. It was a place I extrapolated it back out to the workplace. Oh, so. that could be an episode in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> so so let, let's play with the, the, the women angle and the female angle of this. So as you've been on this agile journey over these years, mm-hmm. what have you noticed about the role of women in the agile community kind of systemically as well as what have you experienced yourself? Yeah. So, um, honestly, this was a big, there was a big wake up call for me about five years ago where I realized I was playing into and participating in the patriarchy. Mm. So, um, like to the point where I didn't even acknowledge there was a problem, um, that, I, you know, I was raised, <laughs> Um, I was raised by parents who very much made it clear I could do whatever I wanted. And I was taught business by my dad, not by my mom. So I approach business like a guy. <laughs> um, and I doesn't like my physical attributes never became a thing for me. I take up a lot of room. I'm very assertive. All of those things were true of me. And if stuff was happening because of my gender, I just assumed it was because of other people's biases Um, because they couldn't see how awesome I was because I have a tremendous overconfidence bias. So, um, the, uh, um, you know, so I come at this women stuff from a completely different perspective than is commonly talked about 
um, in the industry. So for me, you know, I, I had a big wake up call about five years ago and realized, oh, I'm, I'm implicit in this. I, I'm part of the problem and had to shift a lot of my mindset shifts mindset around all of this. Like what are women showing up for in the workplace? Why are we getting paid less? Well, we're getting paid less because men are dumb. No, that's not true. (laughs) There's a a systemic, there's a systemic thing that's happening and women are perpetuating it as much as men are perpetuating it. And so I had to start looking at my behaviors and shifting those. So it was, um, so I, I caught my biases and I called myself into question and I made choices that were um, fairer and um, I acknowledged the challenges I was experiencing. So all of that is something I I grew to very recently Um, and have a hard time still when there's like women only groups. I'm like, okay, (laughs) okay, we'll go do the women only things. And it's still hard for me um, to acknowledge it as a separate thing for myself. Um, so th- that was a lot to unpack. What questions do you have about that? <laughs> no, I just, I, I appreciate kind of the, the openness and the transparency. I, I don't know as though we've had a guest that's kind of been that like upfront and like, I was part of the problem and I'm, I'm speechless almost. And like the, uh, how much of my own truth I heard. Yeah. And that, and I don't even know if I would, I could have put the words to it the way that you did. So thank you. I think that you're just describing in that way is opening up an inquiry for a lot of us that are kind of more assertive, dominant. We take up space. We're gregarious, you know, sort of the way we show up, like how might we still even be contributing to the patriarchy and um, not creating the space for the other's um, that we could be. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hard journey. And, um, you know, it showed up all over my life, not just professionally, but personally and interpersonally, it showed up not just in women, gender issues. It also showed up in race issues. Mm -hmm. I had to look at the whole picture of, of where I had bias and it's still, you know, I'm still catching it today. You know, it's still pretty fresh. Um, and it took a lot of therapy, honestly. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. And admitting that is is huge as well, right? And just like normalizing it. It's also, I think, whether you intended it or not, Jessica, such a beautiful segue into the topic around how we accept accountability for when we actually mess up and cause harm mm-hmm. to, to those around us. Because that's what you're kind of acknowledging is, oh, wow, I realized I was causing harm and I didn't know it. Yeah. Um, so just let's look at that topic of accountability and causing harm. Like why, why are you passionate about it? And what are you hoping listeners are going to get out of our chat as we kind of unpack this for the next 10 minutes or so? Sure. So, um, uh, why am I passionate about it? Well, because I've messed up a lot. And, um, one of the ways I've messed up is in the way I apologize and I don't want to do that anymore. And I want to give the skill sets I've gained to other people, right? So that, Um, So that's one, that's why I'm passionate about it. And um, what I'm hoping other people get out of it is a new way to think about it, maybe a new technique or tool, um, maybe an opportunity to introspect on, are they really repairing or are they glossing? Um, uh, I think that's, I think that's my hope for our conversation today. Yeah. Cause I think it's, sometimes we feel the ouch, 
ourselves when we hurt others around us and we have one of these mess ups. Um, but we try to just marginalize it and kind of gloss over it. Um, what are some of the mistakes that people are making when they have an oops and they get one of these apologies wrong? Yeah. So, um, let's do a simple one. So let's say, um, you're in a meeting and if you're a gregarious person and you've got some introverts in the space and they're trying to get a word in edgewise and you're constantly interrupting them. That's a really common one you see in the workplace. Um, and you go to apologize for it, but you don't ever stop interrupting. Mm. Right. I'm sorry. I overrun you. Um, and then you just keep interrupting and nothing, nothing changes or you make an agreement with them. Um, but you put the onus on them to tell that, to tell you to stop interrupting instead of taking ownership of the repair of the behavior. Um, those are two ways that I've seen it go sideways and that I've gone sideways myself. Um, the other thing I think we see go sideways a lot is we don't actually acknowledge that the other person's experience was real, that we do this as a species, we do this thing where we say, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry that you felt that way. Or, um, right, like instead of saying, oh, I understand how that experience could make you frustrated and feel like not speaking. And um, I really, really didn't intend to do that. I'm going to try and make these changes in my behavior. I'm not a perfect human, so I know I'm shifting and I might need your help to remind me occasionally, but I'm going to do my best to, to do it myself without your reminders. Um, are you willing? And then asking if they're willing to enter into that that work with you because it's not their job to fix your bad behavior. Yeah. Um, it's your job to fix your bad behavior. The, um, this, this works for me when you know you've messed up, mm -hmm. but what if you don't? Yeah. Um, that is a really tricky one. <laughs> so, um, I live in the South. So you often know when you've messed up, if not from the exact person, at least from the five other people they've talked to about it. Um, so um, eventually you get sort of wind, but there's some behaviors you can look for in others that can be indicators for you. Like um, they are, they're not warm to you. They're, um, and mind you, some of these behaviors can show up when nothing has gone wrong and that's just who they are. Um, but it's worthwhile to looking at if there's been a shift in behavior, they were warm to you and now they're not. Um, they're, um, they, they say sure, but then they do whatever they want anyway. That's a good sign something's broken in the communication. It might not be you, it might be them, who knows, right? Um, the um, You're talking all the time and no one else is talking. That's a good sign that something is broken in the communication. Um, and then other behaviors, avoidant behaviors, uh, stonewalling behaviors, defensiveness, those are all cues that somebody's been injured um, and it's now an opportunity to, to dig there. Yeah. Assuming they consent, and that's really the tricky part, is making sure they actually want to do the work with you. Um, because relationship repair takes both parties. Yeah, it absolutely does. The other thing that I'm thinking about is um, when it's not just that you are, um, how do I put it? Um, maybe making it all about you in the act of the repair, right? But that um, in like you use that example of like interrupting people and all of that, but that you also are um, maybe just making it marginalizing the fact that anything's wrong with them in the first place. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, it's it's very important to take the time to really hear their experience and to internalize it and empathize with it, not just sympathize with it, not, man, it sucks that you had that feeling, but really think about what would it be like if I were in this position and how might I feel here? Um, and that can help a whole lot in the realms of power differentials, right? If, if I'm a boss of somebody and I come in and I ask for something, the person I'm asking something of is in a lower power position and not empowered to say no or to alter your request usually. And the way you can flip the script for yourself is to think if my boss came in, what would be true of me? Um, what am I, what would I be experiencing in that moment? And, and you get a little like proactive empathy going. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I'm thinking about some of those dynamics when I've been in kind of a power rank and privilege sort of situation and I've had an ouch and um, how do I put it? The, Oh, bless your heart. Kind of like that patronizing tap on the head sort of thing. Like, aren't you cute to sort of have felt wounded in that interaction? Um, Which I guess at that point, they're kind of bringing just sort of like, I don't even know if gaslighting is the right word. Like you're not really having a problem or if it's their just, maybe they come at you with platitudes, but like there's, talk to me a little bit more about that. So um, I've seen a couple of different reactions to this from leadership. One is, well, they just need to toughen up. Another is, well, they always complain about this. Why aren't, maybe we should relocate them to another role if they don't work well with me instead of trying to fix it, right? So that's a that's a common response you can see. Avoidance, avoidance, avoidance yes. right? It hits both ways, right? When yeah. you're confronted with, I might have done harm, it's also very natural to get defensive and avoid and stonewall the issue. It's, you know, it's just, it's a self-protection method. Yeah. Right? And, and that's all we're doing when we do those is self-protection. So if we can get away from that and think, okay, Rather than try and self-protect, let me see if I can use this opportunity to improve our relationship and myself. Um, then it can be an opportunity instead of this big like thing, right? Yeah. Um, now I'm a bold person with leaders, so you know I tell I warn people that every time I give them advice on this, I'm like, look, I'm really bold, so <laughs> choose what works for you. Um, but it depends also on how egregious the harm was, um, like. Maybe you, when you got, when you interviewed and came onto the organization, you talked to your boss and you said, I'm going to have to leave at four o'clock every day to go get my child from childcare or whatever. And at four o'clock every day, they show up with that one last assignment. And now you're like, well, I thought we agreed. I have to leave before. Right? So there's like this like thing that happens, this miscommunication. Um, the thing I would recommend to both parties is that you make your agreements incredibly explicit. Right. So if you're coming at the 11th hour with a request, putting in the disclaimers that say, I'm making this request. I know you're on your way out the door. I don't need this until tomorrow. Or this is urgent. After you've had dinner tonight and the kids are settled, would you mind taking a look at it? Um, and giving the opportunity for them to say no if they really can't. No, but I think so-and-so might be able to take this on. Yeah. All that very explicit communication about what you're asking for and what's okay and what's not okay is in, is crucial. I... um. I see a pathway for us hiding behind things like designing alliances and agreements with others where we put in things like assume good intent. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and how that in and of itself, like, can be an excuse for actually having to be accountable when you show <laughs> up and like harm somebody else. Um, so how can you use actual accountability? Cause you do want to give people grace cause we all have bad days and we all make mistakes and we all do these kind of things. So you just like, you want to give people grace, but you also don't want to be lax about like freaking a show up and be accountable. <laughs> be so accountable. What, what experience with that. Yeah. The, when I want to use assume good intent, we're not using it to excuse people's behavior. We're using it instead to catch our own inner thought process. It's there. When I say assume good intent, it's so that the, the BS story that shows up in my head, like that was me censoring my cussing. <laughs> the BS story that shows up in my head is one I can catch yeah. before I apply it to the other human. So, um, things like, man, that I can't believe he showed up at the, the 11th hour. He knows I have to leave at four o'clock. Why is he bringing this to me now? What a jerk. That story that just showed up, assume good intent, assumes they're not expecting you to stay past your agreed upon time. Um, let me take action that assumes that instead of action from the what a jerk space. I, I love that framing, Jessica. I really do. The other aspect of giving grace that I think is important to this is that we are all, to some extent, living in a world of paradox all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's inherent conflicts of interest. In fact, as we were getting ready for the episode today, you were talking to me kind of like these hat, these different hats that middle managers wear and how there's so much embedded conflicts of interest um, and those of us that are holding agile coach roles are often starting to dabble in this space of the frozen middle ourselves, especially with the way so much of the agile industry is playing with hierarchy of how agile coaching organizations are even structured. So talk to us a little bit about how when you're living in paradox yourself, mm -hmm. how you're able to navigate holding this accountability, because sometimes you're doing an ouch to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Sometimes the harm is to you. So um, so let me first talk about the conflicts of interest you mentioned. So um, middle managers tend to carry those three hats, the enforcer, the advocate, and the employee themselves. The enforcer is the one enforcing the status quo of the culture of the company. They're upholding the policies. They're upholding HR requirements. They're exemplifying and demanding specific behavior styles from their employees. Um, they're, you know, doing the normal routine administrative work, like performance evaluations and those sorts of things. So all of that is like the enforcer space. The advocate space is the space where they're trying to help their employees grow and become more and do, um, uh, you know, get blockers out of the way. All that stuff happens. Right. And then they themselves are an employee trying to better themselves, grow themselves and and progress in the organization, get raises, get promotions, get bonuses, et cetera. Right. And there's a limited number of promotions available. So it's pretty competitive the further up you go. <laughs> so um, the middle management space is really struggling with those three hats at all times. And they have to make the choice whether or not they're going to do one of those three in any given moment. Agile coaches, same problem. We are seen as leaders in organization. We're given no management responsibility, typically, unless there's an agile coach hierarchy as well, um, but typically given no management responsibility, but expected to behave within the status quo of the company, following the policies, knowing the HR rules, knowing what's legally okay as a leader, 
in the organization without actually having any of the titling or responsibilities that leaders do, and thus also not getting the training that leaders often need. So this conflict is showing up for us too. It's shown up for me for sure. Um, you know, I'm an employee in the organization and I'm an agile coach, thus seen as a leader, but I'm not actually recognized by the organization as a leader until I've done something wrong. And then I'm recognized as a leader in the organization and held to the same standards. So there's this like um, really difficult dance you're doing all the time. One tool I found really helpful um, is this, which hat am I wearing tool? Um, yes. where I actually tell the people around me, right now, I'm an employee, I'm in your camp, I'm a peer to you. Here's what I'm thinking. Yes. <laughs> now, if I take that hat off and I stick on my Agile coach hat, here's what I'm thinking. Um, and managers can do the same thing. As your advocate, I'm thinking this, this, and this. As the enforcer inside this organization, I know we have these limitations that are outside of my control. And to work within these limitations, here's the timeline and expectations I can set forth for you and the promises I can or can't give you as a result. Yeah, I love that because the other thing that it does is normalize something that in my own growth journey, I went through a period of time where I was like, I'm neurotic. And I get that there's like a real definition of the word neurotic, but that was the only label I could think of it. And it was that moment where I was like, I can hold multiple conflicting opinions is true at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you feel kind of broken and a little bit crazy until you understand that like, that's a superpower. And I am wearing all of these different hats and they do potentially have inherent conflicts of interest in them. And that like getting to the point where you can actually understand and decipher between the two of or all of them, because it's not just the two of them. It's right. multiples, yeah, an infinite <laughs> complexity sometimes. Um, I think that's a big piece of, of actually showing up and having the accountability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and being able to say that to somebody else, I know this isn't going to be what you want to hear. I know this is going to land hard for you. I'm doing the best I can within the limitations I have. And um, even better, if you're a manager that sees that those limitations are unfair to everyone, then you're trying to make and you say, here's the ways I'm trying to make change in our organization. But right now we have to live this way. It's like if you're waiting for a law to change. Yeah. Right? Uh, this is the letter of the law today. I have to do these actions to support your needs and our needs and my needs in this space. And um, I'm working with these three people to talk about how we might be able to change this in the future. But right now, this is where we are. Yeah. So before we wrap up, there's there's two angles of this I want to hit. Um, one of which is like kind of, I guess, bottom line for us, sort of some of the tips and tricks on taking that personal accountability for when you've caused harm to others and how to navigate that. One, in terms of actually accepting the accountability mm -hmm. and two, repairing it the right way. So tips and tricks on both of those sides. Sure. So the first thing is to get into a good habit of listening from a place of non-defensiveness and non-judgment. Um, this really takes curiosity to understand what other people have gone through and to um, recognize that all emotions are valid. Um, how we behave because of those emotions aren't. So, um, so sometimes in the act of create of doing harm, somebody behaved in a way that also did harm to you. So there's usually like a reciprocal harming that needs to be resolved. Yeah. Um, but Listen first, listen first to understand and to really empathize with what the other person went through and deny nothing in their experience. Their experience was accurate for them. 
Um, So that's part of accountability. The next thing is to talk, to give them understanding of what your intention was and to acknowledge that you caused harm unintentionally, hopefully unintentionally. (laughs) um, Just acknowledge it. I did cause this harm. I'm deeply apologetic for it. And here's how I'm going to fix it. And then do it. Um, Don't say you're going to fix it and then not fix it. Yeah. No empty apologies. We want to actually do the things that we said we were going to do to fix it. Um, And I think it's important to recognize that that negotiation of these are the things I want to do to fix it is a negotiation. And you may find that you can't do those things for some reason or another, but own that too. Yeah. I tried it and it doesn't work. So I need to talk about it. And, and I'd say that if, if it feels like a bridge too far to really get into the whole, like, how do we negotiate and repair? Cause you're talking about like the other person has to consent and all this. Mm-hmm. I think a good starting point is just a bid to be in relationship yeah. with somebody. And those little bids can be so tiny where it's just like, Hey, I noticed that I may have kind of been a little off, like said something that could have created tension in our relationship. I just want to acknowledge you or, or, or just some little statement that really is contextual to that person. That's just a bid to rebuild connection so yeah. that there's enough fiber there so that you could negotiate. How that's do you right. really repair later? That's right. Uh, John Gottman from the mm-hmm. Gottman Institute calls those sliding door moments. Yes. Um, where it's that really like just every little bid, every little bid towards relationship um, builds the scaffolding you need for when things go really off the rails, yes. they already have the foundation for you. Yeah. Um, so small moments are critical. Yeah, absolutely. So what else in terms of tips and tricks kind of for the personal accountability side and in, in repairing the harm? Anything else? Well, pause. 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 <laughs> the pause is really important. We have a lot of stuff that shows up in our head that we are completely unaware of. Um, and if you're having an emotion at all, it's worth it to just take a moment to figure out where that emotion is coming from. It's not coming from another person. It's coming that like an interaction with somebody might have triggered an emotion in you. But the actual thing that causes the emotion is the thought the thought that showed up in your head because of that event. So this happens a lot as people come into new companies. Maybe they've been in a company before where their boss was slightly abusive and now they've come in and anything their boss does, they're triggered to be defensive or fear for that abuse to show up again. Um, And that emotion is coming from the trigger from the boss before you, not from the boss that is now, right? So there's um, really catching that and acknowledging it in yourself uh, so you can sort of dissect it and unwrite that behavior reaction. Uh, yeah. The you know, grab the amygdala by the neck, essentially. <laughs> and, and what I really hear is this theme of like slow down your incense making, mm-hmm. right? Allow whatever that thing is you're feeling to just kind of process through, which really only takes like 90 seconds or something like that, to actually kind of have that initial visceral reaction kind of clear through. Mm-hmm. And then like what's going on here? And then yeah. Kind of choose your words. Yeah. If you're on the side of being harmed, and this can happen even if somebody's brought out harm you've done. So you can feel harmed by someone else bringing up that harm. But if you're on the side of being harmed, it is okay to say to somebody, I'm having a reaction to this. I don't fully understand yet. Can we circle back? Yes. Like, that's a really okay thing to say to somebody. Yeah. And most people will understand. And for anybody who's a very fast thinker, that statement's critical for them to, to like put a pin in it. Yeah. yeah. So they remember when you come back, what the heck you're talking about. Yes. Yes. 
That's yeah, I think that's really important. So, so Jessica, the other angle of this I want to hit before we wrap is the, you're not actually directly in the situation. You're not causing the harm. You're not being harmed, but you're a bystander to this, maybe an agile coach, maybe a scrum master, maybe just like a good human being. Mm -hmm. And you see this playing out in front of you, whether that be somebody taking accountability unskillfully or Mm -hmm. not taking accountability at all. How might you show up in that kind of framing and scenario? Um, So if you're in the middle of like, I don't know, a meeting, and this happens um, very carefully. You want to pull in every skilled facilitation, conflict mediation technique you've got. Um, if you're in the position to do so, if you are also on the team, you may not have the um, consent of both parties or the authority expertise granted you by your role to, to lean into that conflict. And you might actually make it messier <laughs> by leaning in. So, um, so I think it's really important to know what your role is in relation to these folks. I th- can we just pause right there? Because I think this is one of those moments where we as Agilists makes mistakes all day long, is we <laughs> listen to a webinar on a topic, we listen to a podcast on a topic, maybe we saw a conference speak on it, or it was you know a two-hour segment in some training class we went to last year, and all of a sudden we think we're an expert in it and we can try <laughs> it. It's like the whole I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Knowing your own personal boundaries when it comes to this is so, so important for like keeping integrity and even ethics yes. in these situations. Yes. And and most of us are fixers. We mm-hmm. want to fix things. And so when things are broken, we like jump in. We're like, how can I fix this? Yeah. And maybe you can't. So knowing when you can't fix it is probably the first, the first challenge. As an agile coach, there's a couple of ex- examples that come to mind. Um, one of them, two folks that were reporting to two other managers were having trouble with one another and the managers could have, were at wit's end. They're like, we don't know how to fix this anymore. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, do they want to fix it? And they're like, yes, they want to fix it. I was like, okay, great. And so I met with each of them individually and strategized their communication with them so that they could talk to one another. Um, so that was one thing we did. And I use um, nonviolent communication as a communication pattern when there's breakdowns. Um, uh, nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg, in case anybody wants to look it up. Um, and um, I use that model for breaking out what's the story I'm telling myself, what are the emotions I feel, what was the action I took as a result of those emotions, what do I wish I'd done, like all of that. Um, what's the best thing that they could be thinking? What's the worst thing they could be thinking? really good, powerful questions, essentially, and um, helping them break down those stories and then bringing them together to have those conversations. You're essentially creating the pause with them as a result. Um, So that's one technique I've used. Um, Another technique I've used is I become the conduit for the conflict um, where I like take in what one person is saying and I whiteboard it. Here's what I just heard you say. (laughs) And I take in what the other person is saying and I whiteboard it. Here's what I heard you just say. And I sort of set up an, a momentary working agreement that says we're not going to interrupt. I'm going to I'm going to make sure I'm hearing them. I'm going to make sure I'm hearing them, and then we're going to validate that I got it right. And then we're going to compare and contrast and see where the breakdown is. Yeah, this sounds a little bit like bilateral ventilation from my Orsk coach training. Okay. Um, and in, in making sure creating that space for both of them to kind of get it out and going back and forth in that uninterrupted way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Exactly. So that sort of like conduiting is. Yeah. I don't know, 
my own made up word. Um, I love um, it. It's not a good episode if there's not a made up word. <laughs> um, so, um, so that's sort of the, the approaches I've taken live and in living color. Um, I've been called in to help mediate challenges. You know, lots of times you get the us versus them in teams. And as an objective third party, you come in and you're able to like basically do that same thing, except it's whole teams on both sides instead of one person on both yeah. sides. Um, so all of that happens. The The area we have to be careful of really is um, not telling other people's stories for them. Um, and what, what will often happen, particularly if you're in a scrum master role, I found this happens a lot as a scrum master, people will come to you to complain about somebody else's behavior on the team. And then you go and try and talk to that person about their Triangulation all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Um, what you really want to do is encourage people to talk directly to the person they're having challenge with and offer to be helpful as opposed to doing it for them. Yeah. Um, and this is really important if you're a manager. Very often you have this like somebody on one team complains to their manager who complains to the manager of the other person who complains to this person. This person over here is like, what are you talking about? It's <laughs> really just another example of people's un desire to avoid conflict. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, I'm venting to you about this manager. You go take care of it because I'm unwilling to actually be vulnerable and have to lean in yeah. to addressing this thing myself. When really, if you're showing up as a full leader, you're creating the space so that person can bring up their own skills and become more conflict competent themselves. That's right. That's right. And typically, managers aren't any better at conflict than the rest of us. No. So you never get training <laughs> yeah. on it. <laughs> it's not like they have some magic cross that you don't have because they're a manager. Um, so there's, you know, that just go directly to the person. And if you're scared and you want to strategize it, get a buddy. Um, you know, I know particularly introverted folks have leveraged me as an agile coach regularly to talk, to like really conscientiously think through the things they want to say and what they need to say and where they need to be heard. Yeah. Um, and so they've worked really hard at that. Um, particularly introverts. Not that extroverts don't always work at it. We just talk a lot. So, yes. <laughs> you know. Speaking of us talking a lot, we're starting to get short on time. So, with this okay. idea of, right, the, um, I guess, final tips and tricks for the person that's wanting to hone their skills as the third party in these accountability and repair dynamic situations. Yeah. Where um, might they go learn more? Um, so I've done a lot of my learning through facilitation training. Um, so um, International no International Association of Facilitators, IAF, mm -hmm. has some good classes. Um, you can follow some of the you know big names in coaching in the Agile community. I've done a lot of learning through Lisa Adkins and Marsha. Um, oh, her, her name is Acker. Marsha Acker, thank you. Oh, her name just escaped me all of a sudden. Uh, Marsha Acker, who just released a book on facilitation. Um, so, so there's lots of tools out there like that. You can come take a class with me if you want. Um, the, um, uh, but also, um, I, I, I definitely recommend nonviolent communication. It is, um, it's a personal skill set that then you can extrapolate out and coach others towards. Um, and then there's a book by Edgar Schein called Humble Inquiry, mm -hmm. which is a good one about getting better at questions over assumptions. So um, all places that I have gone to learn, um, learn the skill sets. Yeah. Any other tips or tricks for those folks? Um, um, don't make the mess worse. Right. Like, <laughs> um, 
check yourself before you wreck, wreck yourself, I think yeah. is my big, <laughs> is my big, um, I think for all parties, the harmed, the harmer, the mediator, all of those um, roles, just pause, really just pause. There's um, so much power in the pause. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that is, it's useful for us at work. It's useful for us in our personal lives. It's useful for us systemically, just given everything that we're dealing with, right? You and I happen to be here in the U.S. right now, but just globally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just take a second and breathe. In fact, I invite listeners just right now, let, let's just, just pause and take a couple deep breaths. It's um, a really useful thing a lot of times. It really is. It really yeah. is. Um, I'm, because I'm a talker, um, pausing my mouth yeah. long enough to take a couple deep breaths is hard. So I journal a lot. Mm-hmm. As a um, so journaling can be another way to pause. Yeah. For us that are talkers, I have same affliction. I got it <laughs> for my mom, honest. Um, listening without the intent to respond is a phrase that I heard. Actually, I may have heard it in October of 2017 when I finally took the Agile Coaching Institute, Agile Coach Boot Camp. Um, <laughs> may have actually been the first time I heard that phrase. And it was just like, duh, that makes <laughs> sense. Um, it really does. So that's helpful. So I'm going to talk back about all about you, Jessica. Okay. So, and I think you've kind of already primed us with a little bit of this, but what are you doing for your own professional growth now, as well as this gives us an opportunity to kind of circle back to where we started and what, what maybe also are some of the key things you've done over the years that have prepared you to be this amazing and intelligent, thoughtful woman that I'm podcasting with today. Thank you. My work in progress. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so I did talk about, you know, this, this idea of catching myself. It really, um, I, so I will confess that I lived my twenties very quickly um, and did a lot of living in that decade um, and managed to have two divorces before I was 25. So um, after my second divorce, there was this moment where I was like, maybe it's me. maybe it's not them maybe it's me and that was probably my first wake-up call and that that um acknowledgement that it might be me has done a lot to be sort of like my my keystone for something's gone awry maybe it's me let me start here um and that's really what what set me up for that initial sort of oh Maybe Scrum's not so bad. Maybe I'm just being resistant. Yeah. Um, um, so my whole, you know, they have you do journey lines when you go through the Agile Coaching Bootcamp. And my journey line, you can see every major change is press, press, uh, catalyzed by um, a personal moment like that. So my personal life informs my professional life tremendously. Um, and so... Um, so that's sort of where I started. I was also really lucky to have a lot of diversity in my life as a child. I was raised Southern Baptist on my mother's side and Jewish on my father's side. I had, um, and I'm neither now, in case anybody cares, I'm neither now. <laughs> and um, in those families, I also had other denominations of Christianity. I had a little Buddhism going on. So I had a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. Um, and I lived in Maryland, which is in a fairly diverse neighborhood. So I had um, other diversities to see as well. So that diversity really informed 
the perspective that there's more than just the bubble I live in out there. Um, so that would probably be my other recommendation. If you have an opportunity to get outside of your bubble, get outside of your bubble. Go on yeah. a trip somewhere that you've never been. Go somewhere that's a little scary. <laughs> um, yeah. um, explore. Um, so those are all things that sort of catalyzed and set me up for uh, this kind of introspection and growth. I was also raised by family that believed in the power of mental health care. Mm. And, um, you know, coaching, I like to describe coaching as a, a, a forward mov movement. You have a goal and I'm going to help you move forward towards your goal where um, therapy is backward, yes. where you're trying to heal what was behind yeah. so that you can take better forward action. Um, and um, there's a lot of healing to do and some healing you probably haven't even realized you need, you know, uh, that, that moment five years ago where I realized it was part of the patriarchy. I peeled, it was a huge layer of that onion I peeled and it threw me into a depression and all kinds of things that I had to work through. And therapy was how I worked through it. I, you know, I uncovered personal traumas from my childhood. I uncovered, you know, things, things I've done to others that those relationships are long since gone and I can no longer repair. Um, and the shame that came with that, you know, Brene Brown and all the work she's done with shame yeah. and vulnerability, um, the shame that came with that and the desire to remain vulnerable and authentic, but at the same time, not because shame's terrible to put out on the table. Um, but the you know, moment you can name it, it starts dissolving it. It really does. Yeah. It really does. Easier um, said than done though. Easier said than done. And and that kind of healing and that kind of repair really does. I, I can't sing the praises of therapy enough, but you do have to shop for your therapist. You have to find the one that's the right fit for you. Um, so, you know, those are all things that have catalyzed me to where I am today. Um, and then it's just, you know, I have a zest. I have an, a sense of adventure. Um, when people are want to know a little bit about that, I've walked on fire. <laughs> I've walked on fire. I've spun fire around my body. I, I, you know, I, I play with fire a little and I do it in all areas. I like messy relationship actions, right? Like I like it to be messy. Um, if the relationship is perfect, something's probably not visible. So. Yes. Yes. There's yeah. some transparency issues, yeah. I would say. If yeah. That's the case. Um, so I guess, I guess my word of advice there is get curious about yourself first. Um, yes. Once you uncover what's going on in here, it's way easier to be curious about other people. I love that. It um, reminds me, gosh, if, if, if listeners had a nickel for every time I referenced this quote on one of our episodes, um, they, I would be broken. They would be rich. Um, but it's, it goes back to the quote that Portia Tongue brought up. And I think like the third episode of the podcast series, which is you cannot give what it is you do not have. That's right. 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 Um, and I never remember who said it, but I just know she was the one that brought that quote up in the episode. And it is, it is so, so, so true. Yeah. Jessica, last thoughts, final wisdom you want to share with folks? Um, <clears throat> last thoughts. Um, be brave. Go on an adventure. I love that. Thank you so much for being with me today. I feel like this was some medicine for my soul. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me and giving me the platform to share. Yeah, we're so thrilled that you were here. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about our podcast and always invite you to go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. 
Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.